Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, if you've been, if you, you know me, you know I have a heart of service. And if you've ever been hurt, you need to listen to this episode. Um, this is going to be life changing. And like I always said, healing and recovery is possible. And we're going to be talking just about that today. But I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, I drink iced coffee. I love my iced coffee. And the company that I most deal with is a company called Heart to Heart Coffee, where for every cup of coffee they sell, they give back to another um, help people that are struggling with different kinds of issues. So definitely check out heart heart coffee guys. This is going to be a great episode. Um, and I've always said that your, your mess eventually becomes your message. And this young lady has been through it all and is changing the world. One person at a time. How are you miss silence? Hello, Richard. It's such a pleasure to be here. So what's going on? Well, lots is happening. I've got the new Tougher Together Breakthrough podcast that launched just last week, where we're sharing stories of breakthrough and possibility and strategies for people to, especially now, as we're coming out of COVID, we get the chance to break through what hasn't been working about the way we've been living and to start living the way we want to. And I'm so excited about that for people. I can't, I can't wait to check it out. Hopefully one day I could be a guest and be able to hang out with you. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I, I love that you say that <clears throat> healing is possible. <clears throat> and for me, it's definitely possible. I've been in recovery over 32 years, um, clean and sober 32 years. And it was because of past trauma and I'm healing. And I believe that, you know, every day, you know, every day is, is a God thing that he, every day we get to do something and, and help other people. Like you said, you know, not you know, those exact words, but you know, your mess does become your message. If you're serious about getting, getting well, and you've been through a lot of stuff, you've been through cancer abuse. And I want to get into all that, but I just want to say thank you for just making it out of it. Cause some people don't make it out of the jungle. So thank you so much for making it out and making a difference in people's lives. Thank you so much. And congratulations on your sobriety and your healing journey and for using everything you've been through to be a messenger of possibility as well. Yep. And, and I feel, you know, like, and I think everybody has a purpose, you know, when, when I wake up in the morning, I said, all right, Lord, uh, it's, it's up to you, whatever you want me to do, but you woke me up for a reason. So, um, so talk to us a little bit. Where are you from? Where are you from? And what were you like as a little girl? Oh my goodness! So I am from upstate New York. I was actually born on a military base in Germany, and then at about four, uh, grew up in Holland Patton, New York, upstate New York, and all the way through school, that's where I lived. I went and did my undergraduate degree in music therapy at Nazareth College in Rochester. So I'm a New Yorker. Now I live in Boulder, Colorado. And as a little girl, I was very much an idealist and inquisitive and 
wanting to understand why things were how they were and did they have to be how they were. I just basically questioned everything. And then I had for sure a performer side of myself, even even as a little kid. Now, because um, your father was in the military, did you guys move around a lot? No, he basically was done, I think, by the time I was three, um, just about four. Yeah, he wasn't in for, for very long, just in the beginning of my life. But then I became kind of a gypsy when I <laughs> kind of grew up and flew the coop. I moved around quite a bit for a while, just afraid of commitment and and kind of running and then found my roots later on. Now, um, was there a reason? Because, you know, I believe everybody there's a reason for everything. Um, like when I, I grew up an abusive child or abused child and um, I I gravitated to books and learning, um, but I was never good in school. So, you know, and I guess that's what brought me on my in my journey of, of knowledge. So what was your do you think your reason was for wanting to become that gypsy? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a great question. I just always was called to freedom and I've lived into a lot that that kept me from feeling free. And then I found access to freedom over the years. And I think I always knew deep down somewhere, somehow that it was possible to be free no matter what circumstances had happened or were happening. But it, I think part of that gypsy run was, was just trying to find that for real, not just as an ideal, but as a actuality, as a real life experience that I could live into. And I'm so grateful that, that I did. You know, and one of my favorite quotes and um, by a gentleman named Malcolm X, you know, when he was in prison, he said, my body may be in prison, but my mind is free. And a lot of people um, can be feel like they're a prisoner in their own life. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, you know, and a lot of people, when they do live the gypsy lifestyle, I've done it. You know, I've been there, done that, thrown a T-shirt away. Uh, I kind of <laughs> had a, a price to pay. And I paid some some heavy prices. So was everything smooth sailing for you? Oh, my God. My life has been a disaster. (laughs) It's been the opposite of smooth sailing. But I've learned to not be afraid of the storms today. But no, I mean, I, I did have an experience of some pretty traumatic abuse as a kid. And then it just progressed from there. And My first marriage was a domestic violence marriage. I left when my daughter was two, became a single mom, broke, and really terrified of the responsibility of taking care of us. And I worked three jobs, made ends meet, went bankrupt in the process of that divorce. And, you know, I think I really had to get annihilated on an ego level and just confronted with all my biggest fears to realize, I guess, the strength, not just in me, but in people. And, you know, after that domestic violence marriage and being a single mom for a long time, I got um, a master's in counseling, but then decided to pursue higher education as an integrative holistic coach and facilitator. And I think my lifeline has been 
like you said, books and teachers and education. And it's funny because I always thought I was terrible in school, in high school, but then I just didn't know how I learned yet. And in my undergrad, I figured out how I learned and I have just stayed a perpetual student. And I'm pretty sure I'll be a student for the rest of my life. And, you know, you say, you know, you make your mess, your message. And and for me, it's all those moments where I thought I couldn't, or I didn't see possibility where I knew, no, this is the moment to really, really commit to believing that healing is possible and to doing the healing work to get access to possibility again. And um, six years ago, everything that I had already been through, I would say came to a head when I basically thought I was on the other side of all my trauma because I had done so much work, over a hundred seminars, multiple teachers, you know, everything I could get my hands on to heal and learn. And then had my private practice, was on the radio, things were going well. And I got diagnosed with cancer while I was pregnant with my second baby. And it really felt like a cruel joke. And then I don't know if I would have ever met myself the way I was able to without that experience of cancer. But it certainly has not been smooth sailing. No. Okay. I got so many questions I want to ask. You. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, because I've been doing this now, this is like my 250th um, interview. And I, oh, I, congratulations! you know, and the funny thing is it's crazy. Like today, my first guest, his last name was, um laughter and your last name is silence so hmm. wow i'm like what is what is the world trying to tell me <laughs> um, but you know i i interviewed my friend annette her name is annette uh, wittenberger she has a podcast called the truths that we hide behind and she was abused as a little girl and she said you know when we talked that um a lot of times like if a, a girl or a boy are outgoing before the abuse, a lot of times they become um, very inward or the total opposite. If they were very inward after the abuse, they become very outward. Did you notice any different changes in you your, with your attitude and the way you, um, you know, just the way you were? Yeah, I, I definitely would say that for many, many, many decades, I was committed to silence and not having a voice as a coping strategy. And then I'm so grateful. I don't really know how or why it shifted back into using my voice and stepping into my power. Um, but I do also work with trauma in my coaching practice. And and I do think that happens. And I I don't think it's necessarily just abuse that has us lose ourselves or our voices. I think it's when we start to believe that we're not okay on some level. And my former coach and I, we had a running joke that I was so committed to silence that I married a guy with the last name Silence. And um, that's what happened. And then as Rebecca Silence, I have found my voice again and my way. And that's what I want for people, for them to be able to live the life they imagine for themselves, a healthy life, no matter what they've been through. And, you know, like for me, um, you know, I believe that your past does not dictate your future. You know, a lot of people, like I tell people, you know, for the people that I coach, I have a very small coaching clientele for a reason. 
um, you know, three things that people can do the most. If you guys are listening to this, make sure you write this down. If you want change in your life, some one of the it's not the easiest, but it's one of the most effective things you can do is one is write down all the people you have harmed and make amends, try to make amends and ask for forgiveness. Number two, write down all the people that have harmed you and forgive them. And don't forget, but you can forgive. And the third thing is most of all, the hardest part is to forgive yourself for a lot of stuff that we've got in the past. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, we're running and running, we're running on the treadmill, but we're just throwing more bricks into our, in our backpack and we're not dropping any of that stuff. You know, and I, I tell people, you don't have to, you don't have to carry that, uh, that duffel bag around anymore. You can let it down. And, you know, I think that's one of the ways to become free is to, you know, realize, okay, I've made mistakes. People made mistakes. It's time for me to move on. And, you know, for me, it's like the morning I woke up, when I, the morning I woke up September 11, 2012, I was not the same man. I mean, 2001, I was not the same man when I went to bed that night. So you don't have to be the same person when you go to bed tonight that you are this morning when you, if you're listening to this. So I just wanted to, you know, let people know that, like you said, you know, uh, recovery is very, very, very possible. So now you went through all this and go through divorce, you know, um, I went through two of them, uh-huh. but I, I, I am married to my, my beautiful bride. Now we've been together going on 12, well, 12 years, but she knows me for over 30. So God's blessed me with her. But, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I've been through divorce. I've been through this life is over. And you're like, no, it's just, it's just life is just beginning. So life was just beginning for you again. And then you get hit with cancer. Yeah. And I like what you're saying so much. I want to go back to what you're saying about forgiveness, because I really do think that forgiveness is soul medicine. And then what I've learned about forgiveness is that it can be simple if you think about forgiveness is loving the way you did before the hurt and being willing to keep that heart open and being willing to be all of who you are even in the face of you doing harm intentionally or not, others doing harm intentionally or not, and then being willing for new possibility. And so, yeah, I definitely got (laughs) annihilated again, pregnant with cancer, married to my dream guy. I'm also with my second husband now for about 11 years and it's a, it's a dream come true. And I, I felt like, oh my gosh, was, all of this even worth it if this is how it it's going to end. And I think it's so easy to fall into despair and hopelessness and overwhelm and defeat. And I really got to put my money where my mouth is being pregnant with cancer and, you know, having to commit to life knowing I didn't really have any control over it. I don't think I caused the cancer. And I don't think I cured the cancer. What I know I did do was I focused on the emotional cancer and the heart work that I had control over, the forgiveness work, the integrity work, the me being the highest version of myself, no matter what work. That's what I focused on. Okay. Now, now I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what kind of cancer. Yeah. And one of the reasons I do ask that is because uh, I, I was in the health and fitness industry for 30, 32 years. So it's something that I, I, I'm very, always been very interested in. So do you mind what kind? No, not at all. I had 
stage 3B melanoma. And I was so ignorant about skin cancer. I didn't understand that if it was skin cancer, it could go way beneath the surface. I just knew, all right, I have a mole while I'm pregnant that's changing and growing fast. It ended up ulcerating, which means it burst open. And then from there, I was seven months pregnant and I was actually coaching a doctor who was married to a nurse. And they were the ones that said, hey, Rebecca, you should probably come in at like 7 a.m. tomorrow and get this taken off. And they did. It was malignant. And then I learned more about skin cancer than I ever cared to learn and discovered that um, it can go way deeper than the surface. And I think the same is true with emotional cancer in our lives that we live into and tolerate. And it became the fight of my life. And I'm so grateful that I was able to come out the other side. It was, I wasn't able to be staged until the baby was three weeks old. So they ended up doing an emergency C-section at 38 weeks so that the baby could be in as long as possible. And then I could get staged as early as possible. And three weeks after the baby was born, they did the first sentinel node biopsy to test my lymph nodes to just precautionary, make sure there was no cancer in my lymph nodes. They had told me upon initial diagnosis when I was seven months pregnant, there was a 95% chance it was stage one. That was it. And I was like that 5% that it was already in my lymph nodes. And then it was a 12 surgery and chemotherapy year later with a brand new baby and, and quite the fight that I'm so grateful to have come out the other side from. Now, um, I don't, I, and I don't, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this. Um, you know, like I went through some serious uh, health issues about a year ago um, and I'm blind, 80% blind. Um, and when you go through stuff like that, you start appreciating life. You start appreciating the little stuff because that's the real important stuff. Um, it changes your perspective on everything when you when you're coming going through some serious health battles. It, for me, it was like you know, things don't matter, you know, because I had an uncle, you know, he he died of uh, cancer. He, at 50, maybe 62 or something like that. And he said, you know, Rich, I'm a multimillionaire and I got all this stuff, but I can't buy back a single, single day. And so that's when, and that always been in my head that, you know, we have to, the biggest thing we can give our children, even our husband, or our wives is our presence. And we have to learn to be present in everything and every, every day that we have. Do you agree with that? Oh my gosh, I do. And and for me, I think I got there eventually. Um, but I was 34, pregnant with cancer. I was so mad about that. And what happened before I could get to the point where I was able and willing to be present and grateful and prioritizing in a new way, I really had to go through a spiritual crisis first. I started questioning everything, everything I'd been teaching, everything I'd learned, God, everything. And I'm really grateful for that time where basically my ego got shattered and I questioned everything because it, it allowed me to come into my own aligned truth as the highest spiritual version of myself. And it really allowed me to come out with clarity about what I want to 
be more than anything else in this life. I think it's easy to accumulate stuff. But what's more challenging but more rewarding, I believe, is giving yourself permission to be the version of yourself you want to be in this lifetime that is so precious where we have no idea how much time we have. Yeah. Um, you know, like my dad is battling pancreatic cancer right now. And I, you know, when I went to go see him last year, he's like, you know what? They say I have it. He said, I don't believe it. He says, I believe that I've been healed. And I'm like, well, go for it. He's like, I'm 89 years old. He says, I'm not going for chemo. I'm not going for any of that. Mm. Stuff. But he said, you know what? He said, I believe the Lord has healed me. And so far in the, in the last year, He's looking healthier and feeling healthier and healthier. So I think sometimes, you know, the the brain is so strong. You know, we have no clue to how strong the brain can be. And and our bodies a lot of times can can heal themselves in a lot of things, not everything, obviously. But, you know, a lot of times we take our bodies and our minds for granted. You know, a lot of times they say, you know, even a lot of cancer patients, you know, just thinking positively, having a positive mindset can actually change the structure of your cells in your body. And a lot of the foods that you're eating, you know, like people don't realize in certain kinds of cancers, not all, but, you know, sugar feeds off. I mean, cancer feeds off sugar, a lot of different cancers. So a lot of times if people are struggling with certain, you know, certain cancers, if they go on like ketogenic diets and stuff like that it stops feeding the cancer so did you have to start eating a little bit healthier or were you already healthy already and well this- yeah I, I think this is such an interesting conversation because what i believe is that we have a choice to focus on possibility or fear and limitations i don't necessarily believe in being positive or pursuing the positive if we're not there yet start with just the possibility because there is a possibility of healing. There is a possibility of living. And I think we do have control over what we identify with. Do I, do we identify as healthy or do we, do we identify as sick? Do we identify as living or do we identify as dying? I don't think, you know, it's ever anybody's fault, a a diagnosis or their circumstances. But then again, we get to choose who we're going to be. And so for me, again, like Every part of the way I had been living, I questioned. And I was not healthy when it comes to nutrition before I got sick. I have a history of eating disorders, primarily anorexia and overexercising. And I was working and not eating and then just not really caring about how I was feeling my body before I got sick. Do I think that caused my cancer? No. Do I think that's a wake-up call and something to grow and change? Yes, and I have. So I've really, since cancer, been very, very focused on intuitive eating and nutrition. I green juice every morning. And then I also you know, am more and more willing to love my body as it is versus how I think it should be which I think is a whole other level of healing. Uh, you know, like, and I can geek out just on talking about health holistics, <laughs> you know, because like I have my own, you know, vitamin regimen, you know, like I found out like one of my best friends, um, I was with GNC for over 30 years. And uh, one of my best friends, his, he was, his family's from India. And he was always telling me, you know, there's a reason why Indians don't get cancer a lot. 
is a lot of it's because of the turmeric that they eat. And I was like, hmm. So I didn't realize what, you know, like for people that are, you know, a lot, a lot of people that worry about, you know, having cancer in their family, just taking turmeric supplements, you know, people mm-hmm. don't realize what high antioxidant it really is. You know what I mean? Yeah. We put turmeric and ginger in our green juice every morning, my husband and I. And, you know, there's certain things like, you know, milk thistle that's actually really good for the body. So, you know, you can't prohibit everything, but you can kind of, you know, make sure that your body's running, trying to run on optimal level. Now for you, you know, after you came, you know, after you, because you you are a cancer destroyer, I call it. Um, So after you came back from that, what was next? Well, I I think a big part of coming back to life is I quit chemo and that's not something I recommend. I'm not saying that's something anybody here listening should do. I just knew it was right for me. And that was the beginning of me just really listening in to my body and letting my body be my number one tool to guide me in my life. I listen for what's the spiritual yes, what's the spiritual no, what intuitively makes sense and and what intuitively is my body trying to get me to hear. And I've really, since cancer, more and more and more practiced living into trusting my body and letting it guide me versus what used to be a relationship with my body where my body was my enemy. I love that. So now, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, it's hard, you know, if a person comes up, you know, or even if they think, you know, because a lot of times, like, say, if somebody, your aunt or your, your, your cousin comes down with cancer, all of a sudden, everybody flips out and they're like, well, I'm going to start changing my life and I'm going to change it now, damn it. And they change everything and it, none of it lasts it lasts for about a week. It's kind of like, you know, around January 3rd, everybody's at the gym, everybody's uh-huh. supplements. And then April 1st, there's nobody in the gym and nobody's taking supplements. So how does a person, if they want to start getting healthy, how can they start doing it little by little? Because That's the way I find that this most successful people do it is when they do little by little and it did it it mounts up to bigger things so how can somebody start changing little by little well i think you know the the work i do richard is very much non-cookie cutter i don't think there's like a one way approach to anything that works for everybody so what i Mm -hmm. want for people is for them to love themselves enough and to respect their lives enough to commit to figuring out what's going to be healthy for them one step at a time. So the first thing I would say is there's no right answer. The second thing I would say is you're either committed to wellness or you're committed to suffering and toxicity. And so you might want wellness, but that doesn't mean you're committed to it. So what's it going to take for you to commit to a healthy, well life for you. And how do you know you've arrived there? You're not suffering the majority of the time. I don't think we can escape suffering or fear altogether, but they can definitely become the exception versus the rule that you live by. You can outgrow survival mode. And I think that's the healthiest gift you can give yourself. And that's where it starts is in really choosing 
I'm going to whatever it takes, find a way to live into what wellness is for me because I'm worth it. I have a life that I'm blessed enough to be living. And unless you're living into wellness, you're not having a healthy ripple or impact out into the world. Yeah. And you can. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And I think, you know, for me, I'm getting, as I'm, as I get older, I'm starting to study more as I, as I realize, as I get older, you know, um, I have more answers. I mean, questions than I do answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm reading, you know, like I'm trying to change my routines, you know, cause I think routine, you know, I was listening, talking to my friend, Ed Milet, and he was saying that 40% of your life is root is your routine. And you and we do things. So 40 percent of our day is by a routine that we don't even think about. So if we change our routines, we change our life. And a lot of people don't realize that your morning routine and your night routine are the two most important routines that you can ever have. You know, a lot of people say they're stressed out and they can't sleep, but they're watching TV right before bed. They're, you know, in their in their screen, their phone watching, you know, scrolls uh, scrolling through social media, and they're, then they're wondering why they're not getting good sleep or why they can't rest. So talk to us about, you know, because a lot of people don't realize that when you're re- when you're sleeping is when your body's actually recovering. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about your routine, your sure. routine, and how you recover. Yeah. And again, I I just think we've all got to get brave enough to create the routine that works for us. And you can tap into that. Your body will tell you. So what is working really, really well for me is I do a large green juice and a 30-minute strength training boot camp every single morning. And the reason why that's a big deal is because part of the reason why I quit chemo was I got drop foot. I had severe, severe nerve damage on the right side of my body from the chemo I was on. And the doctors basically told me that quitting chemo was a very, very bad call. And even if I did live, which I was risking by quitting chemo, I would never heal my drop foot. So I just want everyone listening to be really careful about what you buy into and believe because that coming at you is other people's possibility and it doesn't have to be yours. And I don't know why I didn't believe them that the drop foot would heal, but I just decided I was unwilling to stay unhealed. And so I do a lot of deep work with people in my coaching practice every single day and getting up in the morning, moving my body and continuing to build up the strength in this leg, which did heal is powerful and helps me have my body clear emotionally, energetically, physically. Then I have a green juice. I hang out a little bit with the kids and my husband and get ready to to work with people. And then in the evenings, I'm very committed to being done with my practice by five o'clock mountain time. My, my oldest daughter, who's almost 17, she jokes that, you know, you're an entrepreneur, but you still work nine to five. And she's right. I do. (laughs) I work nine to five. I have, you know, my primarily clients booked during those times. And then I'm just with my girls having dinner and 
just being together. And that's a huge part of my evening routine is just being present with those kids. My oldest is about to be a junior. It's unreal. She's going to be out of here so fast. And I spend the evenings with the family. And then, you know, for me, I'll be honest with you, Richard, there are a lot of evenings where I'll end the night, like watching Billions or, or something, cuddled up in bed with my husband. We try to be in bed together away from the kids by like 930, hang out a little bit. And and so I wind down my nights with him and I love that. And my days definitely have a routine where there's kind of a hug on either side that really have me feeling overwhelmed with gratitude and, and all filled up, as cliche as that sounds. And that's what I want for everyone is to have that hug on either end of their day that really supports wellness and, and what warms their heart. You know, and um, one thing, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, I've talked to a lot of high achievers, you know, I've talked to General Petraeus, I've talked to, you know, Navy SEAL commanders, billionaires, and the ones that are the most successful and happy are the ones that end and start their day with gratitude. And yeah. I think gratitude is so important, you know, because I, I, I look at, you know, like um, I'm a dad. I got three beautiful children. And it, when your children are grateful for what they have, you just want to give them more, you know. But if they were being that spoiled <laughs> little brat, you're like, bro, you're not getting nothing. You don't appreciate what you have now. <laughs> definitely so I, oh god looks down below and they're like he's like you know my children appreciate what i give them so i can give them more and they say you you can't receive with a clen if you have a clenched fist you know what i mean mm -hmm. but i think gratitude and mindfulness i think they kind of go you know hand in hand now i have two friends john mccaspell and will schneider they have a podcast called um uh, men's mind mindfulness and they talk about they taught me, you know, I'm not very good at that whole meditation thing. But when I wake up, I leave my phone in the other room and I just go sit in, in, in the living room for 15 minutes without my phone. Just close my eyes and just and just sit there and, and, and thank God and for being grateful. So do you have a you meditate at all? Do you have any kind of gratitude thing that you go through in your mind? Oh, my gosh. I literally start and end every day just saying thank you. Thank you for all of it. And I specifically will try to find any place that I'm not in that moment genuinely grateful for and get there before I get out of bed in the morning or before I close my eyes to go to sleep at night. And it, it's, yes, a gratitude practice. It's interesting because I haven't thought about it like this is my gratitude practice, but it is. It's just my thank you for all of it practice. And, and I mean it, like I'm still here. I get to deal with these situations or circumstances that aren't maybe my preference. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm here and, and I mean it. And then I do in most evenings also take a great bubble bath. <laughs> I love it. And that's really where I meditate. Um, and then I also do a practice called candle gazing where I'll just light a candle and just stare at the wick. Um, but I think most of my day in a way is a form of meditation because I'm really doing my best to be emotionally clear, physically clear, grounded and present. And I am not perfect, but I use the moments where I catch myself out of alignment 
to, to bring it back in. And I think that's all meditation is, is getting in alignment with our soul and really in the driver's seat of our own lives. You know, uh, one thing I got to say is, you know, I'm just beginning on YouTube. So I love your YouTube channel, by the way. I Thank just, you so much. Yeah. But I love one thing, you know, that, that you that you talk about is that you do not have to protect your pain. And mm-hmm. I think that is so you know, because, you know, obviously I've been around 52 years, so I've seen a lot of things and a lot of people, a lot of people want to hold on to that pain. It's it becomes kind of like even though it's a pain, it becomes kind of like a crutch. And a lot of people still want to hold on to that, onto their pain. So talk to us about protecting us from your pain. Yeah, I mean, here's the problem. When you identify with your pain, when you identify as your pain, you're in hell. It, it's There's no benefit from licking your wounds and committing to suffering. And yet we all do it. And I believe the reason we do it is because we can't see beyond it. We won't see beyond it. And what I want for people is for them to risk leaning into the pain so they can move through and heal and conquer the pain and then have life on the other side of it. But what's scary is it's more comfortable to live into the pain. Why? Because we know how to do it. I remember working with a coach many, many years ago, and basically we were looking at my history with men and the abusive relationships that I was choosing. And one of the biggest breakthrough moments of my life was when I realized I was committed to being in abusive relationships. And the reason I was committed to being in abusive relationships is because I knew how to navigate abusive relationships. I didn't know anything else. And then, of course, there was a part of me that knew something else existed, but I wasn't willing to commit to that new experience yet because it was so foreign and unknown. And I think That's what's true for so many people that are in emotional pain and suffering or physical or mental or spiritual or financial or whatever your form of pain is. You're not believing yet when you're protecting your pain that there's life beyond it, but there is. And then what's terrifying about that is you're going to have to risk becoming the person that can create life beyond it. And that means you're going to have to be more and different and in alignment with a new version of life that you haven't lived yet. But you can do it, and you can't if you're protecting your pain. So we all get to choose. You know, Are we going to live into life that's comfortable and painful that we know how to navigate, or are we going to break through and basically free fall into uncharted waters that we don't know we can survive in? This is the, this is the really important thing, Richard. We know how to survive in our pain. We don't know we're going to survive without it, but you're actually not living when you're in survival. So I want you to risk living into life beyond the pain and break through and leave survival mode in your dust so that you can get the most out of your life. And not everybody's going to want to do that. But if what I'm saying here calls to you, then this possibility is available to you. You know, and and I'm just thinking how, you know, um, they, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to, one of their, some of their mantras are, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are afraid of success. You know, they're afraid, you know, well, like, what do I, you know, 
I'm sure that, you know, Rogers Bannister, before he ran that four minute mile, you know, I'm sure he was afraid, you know, can I do this? You know, it's never been done before. And then all of a sudden he breaks the four minute mile and it gets broken like five or six times after that. So, you know, a lot of people just are afraid of, like you said, they're afraid of the unknown. You know, like say, say, you know, sometimes you rather you'd rather fight the devil, you know, than the devil that you don't know. So now, you know, when you have, you know, I'm sure you work with mostly females, correct? I work with plenty of men and women. Yeah, I work with both. So when somebody comes to you, you know, says, you know what, I need to change, but I'm afraid to change what is your, your, you know, what do you talk to them about? How do you get them out mm-hmm. of fear of change? So the first thing I would say is you don't need to change. You get to, and you don't have to. So I would just take away that pressure of the victim consciousness that something is wrong. And I was just talking about this on another podcast interview, Richard. I work with kids starting at five and I've never worked with a little kid that I say, there's nothing wrong with you. Did you know there's nothing wrong with you too? That doesn't immediately start crying. They already by five think something's wrong with them. So often people are putting pressure on themselves that they need to change because they think something's wrong with them. And in my experience, that energy is actually going to keep that person stuck no matter how much they want change. So the first thing is you don't need to you get to, and you don't have to, what do you want? What in your life is working? What in your life isn't? And what do you want instead? Those are the three big questions that I ask people when they come to me, because there's so much, even for the person that thinks their whole life has gone to hell in a handbasket, there's still so much about that life that's working. So we have to identify that. What's working that we want to keep? What isn't working? And especially as we're coming out of COVID, everyone has the right to do this exercise, taking inventory of what's working, what's not. And then for some reason, asking the question, what do you want, can be very difficult for, with, for people. But give yourself permission to ask yourself that question anyway. What do you want? Like if I had a magic wand, if there was no fear, if there were no obstacles, what would you want? And then likely you haven't seen that before. So what? You can create it and you don't have to. So what I do with people is I help them identify the thing that they don't have yet that they want, that they're in the highest vibration around. And that's where we start. And, you know, you said something that's very profound and it's something that I've I've been harping on people that I've talked to in the last couple months. When you change the words from I have to to I get to is when your whole life changes, you know, like I was taking said it yesterday because, you know, we're all, we all still live in our, in our minds. And I'm like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta take out the recycling, you know? And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, you know, you get to take out the recycling of your house that you God has given you where three miles away you were homeless living in a truck at one time. Yeah. So, you know, so it's like a lot of times when you change that to, you know, I have to, to, I get to your whole life changes just with those 
four words. And I, I, I totally agree with what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think it's about powerfully choosing versus powerlessly choosing. You know, whatever I do, I do my best to make it a powerful choice. And then I get ownership of that decision and I'm in the driver's seat and in control intentionally versus in a victim consciousness where I'm at the effect of and powerless. We're never as adults actually powerless. And when we think we are, we just haven't committed to leading our own lives. I love that. So now last two questions that I ask everybody, how do we find you? How do we uh, support your mission? How can people go to you if they're looking for help? Thank you so much. Yeah. The website is RebeccaSilence.com and Rebecca has an H on the end of it. RebeccaSilence.com. And you can email me at Rebecca at RebeccaSilence.com. You know, and the mission is the healing is possible movement. I believe that healing is possible. I promise that healing is possible. And then people have to do what it takes to experience that. I can't promise that you're going to experience it. I can promise it's possible. And then if you want to work with me individually in a couples intensive, if you're a couple coming out of COVID and needing to reinvent and reboot, definitely get in touch with me for my two-day couples intensive where I teach 12 sacred laws of spiritual relationship. It's amazing. I do team trainings coming out of COVID. Let's do a mini retreat for you and your team reinventing. And you can also join the private Healing is Possible Facebook group. And please, please, please find, rate, review, and promote the Tougher Together Breakthrough Podcast. I am so proud of this brand new podcast. We just launched May 27th. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and Audible, all of the podcast platforms, the Tougher Together Breakthrough Podcast, where I'm literally interviewing and sharing stories and offering case studies of people that have broken through and emotionally healed living into the lives that they dreamed of once and maybe didn't think was possible, but created anyway. That is right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't wait to come on and hang out. Thank so, you, now, Richard. Now, last question. You know, we, we still, we live in a crazy world still. We're still in a lot of places are still on lockdown. I think we just got, ours got lifted, but you know, a lot of parents have been laid off and you got, got some parents that are driving Uber just to put food in their kid's mouth. We got grandparents that are homeschooling kids. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if there's somebody out there that's listening to us right now that is struggling with some of the things that we've talked about, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's health issues, uh, whether it's, um, you know, whatever they're going through, if somebody is struggling, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start yeah. help? Well, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to challenge you a little bit, Richard. I would say go to RebeccaSilence.com and for $27 only, buy the five-day Healing is Possible Challenge. That's something you can do today. And you will learn my five steps to healing that will help you emotionally, no matter what you're facing right now. And by the end of five days, five 30-minute trainings and one worksheet a day, your life will 
absolutely guaranteed be different if you follow that challenge. So what you can do in 24 hours is sign up. And then what you can do is commit to five straight days of commitment to your healing and your reinvention of your life and let yourself launch to the next level. Well, I think that's going to be amazing. I want you to send me that info and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, sure. We'll we'll, we'll get that out to the the public. I want to thank our sponsors. Without you, this show would not be possible. If you love coffee, check out Heart to Heart Coffee. Um, Every cup of coffee goes to give back to help somebody else. So definitely check them out. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. I appreciate you. This will be going out in a couple of weeks, so I'll send you the links and I'm going to put it, push it out everywhere, including YouTube. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It's an honor and privilege to be Have here. Have an amazing week and keep crushing it. And Thank re- you. Vertical momentum. The only way to go is butt up. Have a great day. Thank you, Richard. This was Bye. so much fun. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show if you love what we're doing if you would like to support us we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out we have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out hats coffee mugs any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support vertical momentum and you're always looking to get better also we have our new coffee brand coming out it's called vertical momentum coffee it's ass kicking coffee and and it will it will get you moving in the morning so guys if you're interested go to www.richardkaufman.net check us out leave us a note tell us what you'd like and we'll actually send it to you the new website is being built so if you guys want to Our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.